Isn't it great to see young people using their talents to worship the Lord? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me share with you a little bit that's been happening in our lives. Uh, Lynn has been working on a doctorate of education out at Southwestern Seminary, has turned in her dissertation, has done her final drafts, and is waiting to do her, uh, yeah, defending it. There we go. And uh, the first week, the second week of October, so she is real close to being finished. And then a moment of desperation and a moment of uns- uh, 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 lack of having any brain cells in my head, I have started a Ph.D. program. And I'm in my first semester. They're trying to kill us the first semester. Five books, one a week, with a book review, discussion questions that you have to post the answer to the discussion question and respond to your classmates. And then two major research papers in the first semester. 16 weeks. Yeah, hallelujah. I've learned more about theology than I wanted to know. Especially the theologians of the 20th century. That's an interesting read, I assure you. Well... I want to welcome everyone this morning. Thank you for being here as we worship together. Thank you for those that are watching us on Facebook. But I want to encourage you on Facebook, if you can, come be a part of. There is something when God's people come together that's very significant. There's there's the, the camaraderie of being together, of being the church, and worshiping a risen Lord. And uh, it's just special. And, and I thank Andrew for earlier when he said, going to start back next week, but we don't want to become normal. Folks, I pray we never get back to normal. That this pandemic has caused us to really evaluate what we're doing as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I go to this passage this morning with the hope of saying that I am not ashamed. And if you aren't immediately know, we're going to verse 16. We're going to look at verse 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed. So as you turn there, let's look at verse 16 and 17. Let's read together. For it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Lord, as we spend the next few moments together looking to your word, may we hear from you. Holy Spirit, guide us, direct us, empower us, encourage us. Give us your heart, for it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. As we begin in the book of Romans here, we see that Paul was wanting to go to Rome to preach. Rome was the greatest city of the biblical times. Now, we can't say that today. There are all kind of great cities. There's Atlanta, New York, and London, and Tokyo, and the list goes on and on. But in this day and time, there was one great city, the city of Rome. It stood out. 
Without a doubt, it was the greatest city. <clears throat> and some people would say that Paul would have been afraid to go and preach in Rome because it was such a great city. Well, we know in studying about Paul, Paul wasn't afraid to preach the gospel anywhere. In fact, I've found times in my life when the Lord really wanted to get my attention, he'd always bring me to a study of the Apostle Paul. And Paul was bold and had heart. But, you know, there in Rome, they were killing Christians because they were cannibals. You say, Christians are cannibals? Yeah, remember they said they were drinking the blood of their founder and eating his body. So the Romans were having Christians put to death because of cannibalism. They also had them put to death because they were atheists. You see, the Christians went and bow down and worship all the other gods. In the Pantheon, they had these little alicos and they put little icons of all their gods up. And the Christians went and go and put an icon of Jesus up because he is the only God, not one God of many gods. So they were calling them atheists and putting them to death. And Rome was not a good city, was not a good place for Christians during that time. Today we're going to talk about the gospel. You've heard about the gospel, haven't you? People say, I like gospel music, gospel preaching, gospel press. Well, what is the gospel? And using these two verses, let's learn three things that the gospel is. First, there should be excitement about the gospel. We should be excited about the gospel. The gospel is good news. That's literally what gospel means is good news. It literally means that, good news. Well, of course, our word gospel is from Anglo-Saxon word. That means God's spell. But the Greek word here in the Bible that's used for the word gospel is eguangelon. Or where we get our word evangelism from. But it means a good message, to go and give a good message. You've heard people talk about a eulogy at a funeral. Well, it's a good word about someone. You, which means good, logos for word, a good word. It's the same here. It's a good message. The gospel is good news. It's good news. It's not bad news. I've been amazed at, through the years at how sometimes people leave church after a scathing sermon about eels and wrongdoing and all that and the pastor will go up one side of them and down the other with hobnob shoes on, hobnail boots on and they feel awful and they say oh man he really preached the gospel this morning no he didn't the gospel should never make us feel bad, the gospel should excite us, it is good news now there are times where we as pastors have got to get after us because we're not doing things that are pleasing to God and we've got to speak the word of truth and we've got to preach. But when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about good news. And when we talk about gospel, the word gospel should just excite us about being on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, being able to stand bold 
Jesus dying in my place, that is good news. Without it, I have no hope. And we need to be people about that good news. We need to be sharing it. It's the best news. It is the greatest news that we can share to humankind. There's a way to be delivered. I've been told, although I was not alive at that time, that when Germany surrendered in World War II, the people went out in the streets and celebrated. Germany has surrendered. And then when Japan surrendered, people went out and there were ticker tape parades and Japan has surrendered. Folks, we are the ones proclaiming the truth of the gospel. We should be out in the streets celebrating the good news and proclaiming the good news because the gospel is worth sharing. That's why Paul says here, I'm not ashamed. I'm going to share the gospel there in Rome. Isn't it a shame we're prone to share bad news? People like to be bearers of bad tidings. Have you ever noticed that people like to gossip? No, not here. That wouldn't ever happen here. Oh, okay, it does. We just like to do it. It's part of our nature. Somebody said the theme song of gossip is this. I love to tell the story. And you said, well, you know, you, we, we can speak truth. Well, sometimes speaking truth can still be gossip if its intent is to hurt a person. We shouldn't be quick to share gossip, but we should be quick to share good news. And normally what happens, it's exactly the opposite, is it not? Paul says here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But I challenge you to think we would much rather share good news. Child's born, what's the first thing you want to do? Go out and tell everybody, I got a new baby. In this day and time now with our cell phones, we click them pictures and we go show, Whoa, look, look, look. Look at my new baby. Look at my new grandchild. If you don't believe me, ask Lynn and I after we show y'all a picture of our grandchildren. Our children got this thing that want to say, which one of, you, of us is, our, is your favorite? None of you. We love our grandchildren. It actually happened yesterday. But we do like to share good news, don't we? A young lady gets engaged. What she want to do? I mean, that hand just goes right up there. Want to share that good news. Folks, why have we got that excited about sharing the best news in the gospel of Jesus Christ? What if it became our nature to share good news and to share the gospel? Oh, there have been times in our lives when great things have happened. We want to share it. Well, the gospel's the same way. We ought to be sharing it with people that we come in contact with. I read something a few years ago, and honestly, I don't know if it's true. But some of you may go out and do this and let me know back if it's true or not. But I've heard that you can take a goose 
and draw a white chalk line around it and it won't leave that line. Now some of you that have more inclination and capture one of these wild geese around here, do it and let me know back if it's true or not. But folks, there's an application in that for us as Christians. Sometimes I think we paint ourselves a white line around us by coming to our holy huddles and we need those. And we draw our white lines around ourselves and we don't go out there and share the good news. The greatest thing that can happen for Eastside Baptist Church, the greatest thing that can happen for every church in Tattanoe Evans Baptist Association is this. We become a light in our community about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray this for every one of our churches. I pray this year that every one of our churches' water bills would double. And I mean that. I want you filling up your baptistry so many times that your water bill goes sky high. Wouldn't that be a great thing? But it's not going to happen if we, the church, every one of us, is ashamed of the gospel. We've got to proclaim it. We've got to go out. The gospel is more than coming to church and in Sunday school. Praise the Lord for starting Sunday school next week. But the gospel is more than that. This gospel is more than our small group discipleship. The gospel is about telling people about Jesus Christ. It's worth sharing. Preachers love to talk about the great old evangelist Dwight L. Moody. You hear all the sermon illustrations about him, but sometimes we forget that Dwight L. Moody was never an ordained minister. He was never a pastor. He was just a shoe salesman who was born again. And he got so excited about it, he never got over it. And he went everywhere telling the good news. He became an evangelist. He was a big man. And a big full beard, we'd call him obese today. But he had a booming voice and he could fill up all those halls that he was called to speak to. Well, Dwight was an uneducated, uncouth man. And it was said he murdered the Queen's English. In fact, in 1870, he went to London and he was speaking in front of a huge crowd of educated, sophisticated English people. And he started his address this way with poor grammar. Don't never think that God don't love you for he do. He sounded like he was from South Georgia, didn't he? And he just went on talking about Jesus. Some people were offended by his lack of correct grammar. And at one of those meetings, a sophisticated, dignified, English woman came up to him and said this, Mr. Moody, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And he hung his head and said, Ma'am, you're right. I am ashamed of myself. But I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope you can say the same this morning. You see, I can say the same thing as Dwight L. Moody. 
I am ashamed of the way I act sometimes. And I'm ashamed of the way I live sometimes. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Number two this morning, there's the effect of the gospel. The gospel has power from God. Look back at verse 16 again. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Notice this. For it is the power of who? Of God to salvation. Not ashamed because it is the power of God unto salvation. What Paul is saying here is the gospel has power. He says the power is from God. It isn't man's power. Man does not originate the gospel story. It comes from God. You see, Rome understood power. Rome was the center of military power. The greatest army in the world was based there. And they understood government power. The Roman Senate was the pinnacle of human power. The Caesars lived there. It was the height of the cultural power. So they understood power. So Paul is talking about here the power of the gospel. Well, the word there, power, is where we get our word dunamis or dynamite or dino. Power. Think about lighting a stick of dynamite. When you light that stick and it explodes, there is power. It says this here, Paul's using that terminology, the power of salvation is from God. The explosion of the gospel is the power of God. Isn't that great news? For us as we go out and we talk about salvation and we talk about the good news, that power to do that comes from God who created everything that we lie, lay our eyes upon. Not my power. It's God's power. Here's the reality. If I have the power to save someone, you can come along and talk them out of it. The power comes from God Almighty. And the power to go out and proclaim the good news resides within us because the Holy Spirit comes to indwell in us at the moment we ask God to save our souls. We have all the power we need to not be ashamed of the gospel. Here's what happens. Satan will climb up on our shoulder and whisper in our ears. You know that you did yesterday? That was sin. You can't speak for God. You're not good enough. You're exactly right. I'm not good enough. But the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within me is. The gospel is exciting. It's explosive. Can you imagine the Lord sending a true great awakening, a revival among us? How many people would be saved? I read something this past week that just kind of humbled me and it was absolute truth. It says this, if we spend as much time talking about the gospel as we do about politics, we turn the world upside down. Think about that for a moment. Think about this past week, how much you've talked about politics. And we're right in the middle of political season. But what if we proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ as much as we talked about politics? What would happen? 
You see, this power, this gospel has power to save everyone. The gospel has power to save everyone. You say, where do you get that in that verse? Notice what he says. He says, but first the Jew and also for the Greek. The gospel has power to save people. The gospel has power to save those that live in the United States, those that live in China, those that live in Russia, those that live any place in this world. The gospel has power to save all. What if I were to sit down with you one-on-one over a cup of coffee or a Coke and I look in your eyes and I said, tell me, are you saved? Some of you would say without hesitation, absolutely I am saved. I am guaranteed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Others would say, I don't know. Others would say this, I don't know what it means to be saved. Let me share with you some heartbreaking things or something that happened within the last two weeks. School year started. You know, my wife is the director of the Christian Learning Center here. She has students in her class this year that didn't even know how to open a Bible, didn't know that there were chapter and verses in a Bible. Folks, we're not talking about somewhere around the world. We're talking right here in Evans County, Georgia. People who have never opened the Bible. Last year, she had a student that for three generations had never been inside of a church building. Grandmother had been in a church one time for a funeral. The daughter and the granddaughter never been inside of a church. So we're sticking our head in the sand like the ostrich if we believe that everybody in Evans County knows Jesus Christ. So we need to be asking people, are you saved? It's not complicated. It's not my idea of salvation, it's the Lord's. And some people say, well, let's not use that word saved. It's old-fashioned, it's too religious. Well, I kind of like it. Someone's about to lose their life in a fire and the fireman comes in rescues them we say they're saved if you've been shipwrecked and you're floating around out there in water and someone comes on drags you up out of the water they what we say you've been saved well jesus christ come along drags us out of the pits of hell and brings us into glory then we've been saved that's what happens we've been saved It's a good Bible word. Remember the Philippian jailer who was about to commit suicide because he was the end of his ropes and he turned to Paul and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Tell me. Paul didn't say, Well, I'm glad you asked me that, but we got to come up with a different word than saved. No, that's not what Paul said. Paul didn't say that's religious jargon. He says this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What does it mean to be saved? Salvation has three tenses. I have been saved, I am being saved, and one day I will be saved. Now you say, what in the world? You've lost your mind. What are you talking about? No, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. You know what the penalty of sin is? Hell, separation from God Almighty. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I've been saved to past tense. I am being saved right now, day by day, from the power of sin. It doesn't mean I'm sinless, but I do sin less than I used to. And every growing Christian should be that way. We sin less. And we're broken over when we sin. We're being saved from the power of sin. But one day, hallelujah, when I die and I go to a place that's been made for me, that place in heaven, there will be no sin and I will be completely saved. There won't even be the presence of sin. So let me tell you how the Bible talks about this. This one in the book of Romans, it calls... I have been saved is justification. I've been declared not guilty by a holy God. I have been saved. I am being saved is sanctification. I'm being made holy, set apart for a purpose, being made holy. And then I will be saved is glorification. So there is a power not only to save us from the pits of hell, but to bring us along to walk with the Lord and then ultimately to be in the presence of the Lord. The gospel has power to save the Jew and to save the Gentile. Paul here is saying that the gospel was first delivered to the Jewish people. And I praise God there are Jewish people around this world who accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. Because understand my heart in this, without the acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord, those that are Jews will still spend eternity separated from God. The gospel is the only message. We're saying to me, well, brother, the Jews believe in God, yes, but they don't accept that the Messiah has already come. There is no way of salvation apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. Percentage-wise, there are more Jews that are Christian than there are Gentiles who are Christians. Well, and the reason for that is they're a small group of, uh, of people. The Jews are a small group compared to the rest of the world. But there are a lot of Messianic Jews. When we lived in Columbia, South Carolina, we had the privilege of visiting with a Messianic congregation. And you've not done a Seder until you go to a Messianic Jewish congregation and participate in a Seder. And the Seder is the worship of the Passover. It was a phenomenal experience. But hallelujah, the, the good news is good news for everyone. 
In fact, my best friend was a Jewish carpenter. Jesus Christ was a Jew. And Paul says here that the gospel was first available to the Jews. Remember in Rome that the, the Christians were just considered a sect of the Jewish people. And it was not until later that the Jewish rabbis came along and told the Jewish people that they couldn't have anything to do with the Christians. But hallelujah for John 1.11 that says that Jesus came into his own, meaning the Jews, and he was not received by them. And then the good news went to the Gentiles. And we're sitting here today because the gospel has been made available first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. The gospel needs to be shared to the Jewish people. The gospel needs to be shared to the Gentiles. I'm reminded that Otis Brady was a great Southern Baptist missionary in Belize. And Otis lived on the beachfront of the bay down near uh, Belize City. And, and an oil company transferred a wonderful couple there that lived beside the Bradys. It was a Jewish family, a young husband, wife, and three precious children who had been raised in Judaism. Well, in Belize, Americans try to stick together. So the Bradys invited the family over and they became close friends. And of course, the Bradys shared the hope of Jesus Christ with his Jewish family. They listened with respect, and that's not what we believe, they would tell the Bradys. That's not our heritage. Bradys didn't condemn them. They didn't act like they were some unclean people. They just loved them, and they were great friends. They did a lot of things together. And one Christmas, Otis invited them over to celebrate and participate in Christmas. And the Jewish family said, sure, because they were good friends. So as the dinner progressed and Otis got up and he read about the birth of Jesus and from the New Testament and the New Testament story was the fulfillment about the Messiah and but that Jewish family still didn't become Christians. The whole company moved the Jewish family. But about a year later, the Bradys received a, an envelope, received a piece of mail. And they were so excited that on the outside of the envelope, they wrote this. We have found the Messiah. Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah. The Bradys were not ashamed of the gospel. It didn't hinder sharing the gospel to whoever God had placed in their path. Listen to me, God's not through with the nation of Israel. The fact is that that nation has celebrated 60 plus years of being a nation, a fulfillment of prophecy out of Scripture. 
In Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, that's all about the Jewish people and how God is not through with the nation of Israel. But I would contend this also, God is not finished with the nation of the United States. Thirdly, this, this, this morning, Paul goes in verse 17 of an explanation of the gospel. He says here that the gospel, in the gospel, is a righteousness, righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. It literally means faith unto faith. Righteousness means right standing before God. So I'm going to do a little experiment this morning. Now I know this and I promise I'm going to show you. The building will not fall if we raise our hand in church. If you're righteous this morning, raise your hand. Good, there's some of you that did. Let me ask you a second question. Are you saved this morning? Raise your hand. Why didn't you raise it on the first one? Bible's clear here. If you're saved, you're righteous. Now, I didn't ask if you were self-righteous. I am in right standing before a holy God, not because of my self-righteousness or anything I've done, but because of the completed work of Christ Jesus. We get this idea that God looks at us through the filter of who we are. He does not. He looks at us through the filter of the blood of Christ. So before a holy God, I am right standing. I am righteous before a holy God. Not because of me. It's all about Jesus. That's what makes the gospel so important. That's why we shouldn't be ashamed of it. I am righteous because of the gospel. Right now, if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, you are a righteous person. Oh, I got a pet peeve. Y'all forgive me for this one because I hear it all the time. We are sinners saved by grace. No, we're not. We're saints who sometimes sin. The emphasis has been taken away from the sin in the sinner. I'm righteous before God because Jesus Christ has cleaned me up and is cleaning me up. Are we righteous? Well, I think there are four things that we can learn about this righteousness. The first is this. God's righteousness is humanly impossible. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Not our bad acts. Notice what Isaiah says. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Well, what do you do with the filthy rag? You throw it in the garbage. So all of our righteous acts are like garbage before a holy God. Wow. We're not talking about the bad things we've done. We're talking about the good things we've done. Reminds me of the story of the little lady. 
Our pastor asked him, ma'am, have you done something good this week? He said, yeah, I helped two Boy Scouts cross the road. All of our good works are like stinking rags before God. So you know what it tells me? Not what I do. It's what the God's done for me. You know, we say, you know what, I have a big problem. I'm just going to change. I'm going to get better. Oh, that's a... <laughs> Around South Georgia, that's number one. Ask people, do you attend church? Well, I got to clean my life up before I go to church. Are you a Christian? Well, I got to get things right. No. Even our greatest works are like filthy rags to the Lord. The gospel cleans us up. We become righteous by the power of the gospel. You know, saying that we're going to clean ourselves up is like saying those who need heart bypass surgery. And praise God for that because in 2016 I had to have that. You know, they open you up and they take that bone saw and they cut your sternum, they pop you open, take your heart and they bypass your margin and it's all still amazing to me. And after it's over a few weeks, you're not the same. You're better than you were before the bypass. But to say, I'm going to clean myself up and become righteous before I accept Jesus Christ as Lord of my life is like saying when I needed heart bypass surgery, I'm going to go in there and lay down on the operating table and I'm going to take a scalpel and I'm going to split my chest open and I'm going to take the bones hole and then I'm going to pull them veins and do it and I'm going to do it and sew myself back up. It's ridiculous, isn't it? That say, I'm going to get better before I make Jesus Lord of my life is just as ridiculous. Righteousness is from God, not ourselves. Secondly, God's righteousness was a gift paid for by Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 21, it says this, God made him, Jesus made him, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, we have a problem. There's God's holiness and righteousness. Here we are. We got a problem. There's a chasm. The cross of Christ is what fills that chasm. See, we're righteous not because of ourselves, but because Jesus Christ bought and paid for us. He paid the sin debt that we owe. And his righteousness, his perfection was laid upon us. Thirdly, God's righteousness must be accepted by faith. It doesn't happen arbitrarily or automatically. It happens intentionally by an act of faith. I love what Paul says in Philippians 3, 9. And he says this, And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. That 
the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. You're not righteous this morning. You're not self-righteous. This morning I'm not self-righteous. I have a right standing before God because of my Savior. Let me tell you what this faith into faith means. Let me try to simplify it. November 14, 1961, that's the day I was born. My mother told me that the doctor in Baxley, Georgia, delivered me. And she said the doctor held me up by my, my ankle and whacked me across the bottom. And I let out a good scream. So you know from that day to this, I've been living in the atmosphere breath by breath. You have that picture? But in June of 1973 at Midway Baptist Church in Baxley, I was a 12-year-old boy. I received Jesus Christ by faith. I received the gift of righteousness. And from that day to this day, I've been living faith by faith. Faith is not just something that saves you back when, it's what sustains us today. We live faith by faith. And I love acrostics and it helps me to grasp a hold of concepts. So faith is simply this, forsaking all I trust Him. Forsaking all, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to believe the Lord that His way is perfect and not mine. And then finally, God's righteousness results in right living. We're not self-righteous. We can't be righteous. God makes us righteous. But because we're righteous, we should desire to live righteously. See, we've received God's favor through His Son. And because of that, we should want to live like people who are His. Not to earn our salvation, but because of our salvation, we should want to live. Salvation is unmerited favor from God. It's a gift. There is a problem. You and I were born in sin. We have a tendency to sin. We were in this deep, dark, slimy, stinky pit of quicksand. And we were sinking. And there at the bottom of that pit was a poisonous serpent ready to strike us dead. So here we are. An optimist comes by and looks at you and says, Cheer up, there are worse pits than that. A pessimist comes by and shakes his head and says, You know, that's what life is, one pit after another and then you die. There's nothing you can do about it. A scientist comes along and looks at you and says, You know, I could analyze that. How you got in there. To begin with, an engineer comes along and says, you know what, I could design a much better pit than the one you're in. 
An animal rights activist comes along and says, shame on you for bothering that poor snake. A managed healthcare professional comes along and says, sorry, your pet is not on our approved list. Jesus comes along and says, let me lift you out of that pit. From sinking sand, he lifted me. With tender hand, he lifted me. From shades of night to cleanse light, oh, praise his name, he lifted me. Folks, that's what salvation is all about. Are we ashamed of the gospel? It's not Brother Matt's, not Andrew's, it's not this worship leader's group up here to introduce people to Jesus Christ. Now they got to be an example, that's for sure. But the Bible says that every one of us are ministers of the gospel. We're commanded in Acts chapter 1 to be witnesses for the Lord. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Am I ashamed of the gospel? God forbid us no. So I'm going to issue a challenge for us. As we go from this place, we go out in the work week, we go out into the world, our mission field, outside those doors are our mission field. Are we going to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I know that there's plenty of room if you need to come and pray at this altar. We can socially distance. There's plenty of room up here. If you need to speak to me, come speak to me. If you need someone to pray with you, I'll be glad to pray with you. But here's the invitation this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, you're not in right standing with God. And you need to accept Him as Lord of your life and ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Secondly, you may be a believer and you're saying, Brother, I've been living like I'm ashamed of the gospel and I need to renew, recommit myself this morning. And I really don't like that word recommit. The reality of it is we just need to commit. may have a burden this morning. You need to lay at this altar. It may be a lost loved one. It may be a sin. You need to lay at the foot of the cross. And you say, Well, Brother, I can do that right there in my seat. You sure can, but there's something very significant about coming before altar in front of a group of believers and bending our knees. I think the reason we don't do that so much anymore is because what I talked about gossip earlier. Those others, they came up to the, pew, up to the front of the church and prayed this morning. I wonder what they're doing wrong. Well, maybe they were praying about you being a gossip. We need to honor the Lord. So if the Lord speaks to your heart this morning, don't you sit there in those seats. You do what the Lord asks you to do. I'm going to invite the praise group to come to lead us. Let's pray together as we have this time of invitation. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that we can be righteous before you, not because of us, but because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Lord, thank you for your blessings upon our lives. Lord, if there are things that we need to make public this morning, give us boldness to stand for you. For it's in Jesus' perfect, pure, and holy name that I pray. Amen.